Welcome to The Profitable Python with your host, Ben McNeil. On this episode, you will meet Claire Whitaker. Claire is a tech blogger and workshop runner who has worked at a top tech company for almost five years. She's a big foodie and doesn't take herself too seriously. She's passionate about AI and creating a more sustainable future using technology. She helps passionate devs and product managers learn how to have impact with artificial intelligence by blogging about code, AI innovations, and running online trainings. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is, this is great. I, um, I wanted to jump right into your mission, and your mission is to make artificial intelligence and big data concepts accessible to all. Where did you, where did you get that inspiration for that? Yeah, so it's kind of a long story, um, but we've got time, so I'll tell it. Sure. Um, <laughs> So I was actually, um, uh, before I joined tech, I was working as a chemist, but I found it like a little bit slow because the projects that you're working on in the chemical field can take up to 20 years to go from like the idea into the implementation. Hmm. So I decided to make the move into tech and I started working for a tech company, actually marketing sales, which was a big difference from a research lab, um, but very quickly moved like closer towards the tech piece and started getting more exposure to machine learning and AI. And it was really exciting. And I loved like getting involved in it um, and like learning more about that technology and some of the things it could be used for. But what I was seeing in the media was very different to how I was seeing that the technology is actually being used. So there's a lot of like, dare I say it, fake news out there um, about AI and like the robots and like gonna do all these terrible things and beware um, and like just how advanced the technology is and how it's been used, which were just not accurate. And I think that the messages that that was spreading were actually quite harmful to people because these kinds of technologies will have such a large impact on everyone's life, whether they work in tech or not. And so I think it's really important that people are given the opportunity to truly understand what that tech means. So being uh, the kind of person I am and completely insane, I decided that the way to fix this problem was that I would teach myself to code and then like start a blog about AI and tutorials and write a book. Um, just to show people like that any like you don't have to have this like computer science background necessarily and that you can understand how the technology is and you can kind of like build it up that way. So I wanted my blog to be a source of truth for people who were interested in understanding AI and needed somewhere to go to learn about it that wasn't like way too technical that they wouldn't be able to get their hands around heads around it they would be put off and just abandoned mm -hmm. but also wasn't really like media hype like oh this is it can do everything xyz in like oversimplifying it so hmm. that's kind of where that all came about from okay perfect and the, uh, what you just mentioned kind of a question that just triggered in my mind is when somebody is deciding like okay i want this high-tech job or i want to kind of break into this genre of a way to to make money what are some expectations they should set for themselves on like the learning curve and just in in general do you have any insight on that i think 
I think one of the most important things is to just be really open and be really willing to learn, knowing that it's going to take a long time. I think people, like as much as some of the concepts can be quite simple and you can get your head around them quite quickly, like if you want to get those high tech jobs specifically working in that industry, I think you need to be really open to like starting like simple, building up your knowledge progressively over time and not trying to force yourself or rush yourself into this and then getting upset when you don't understand or getting really frustrated when things aren't working because um, I see AI very much how I see kind of like learning about chemistry um, in that it's really fun and it's really interesting, but it's also really fucking complicated. And you're, <laughs> like, it's like good to like run experiments, but like find a mentor, find help, like build slowly and kind of like don't be too hard on yourself if you don't mm. understand anything that's going on. Because also like with predictive algorithms and the kind of mathematics that's involved in AI like it's not going to work out exactly the same every single time so just like be ready be prepared be patient and like find mentors and find like sources of truth that you trust that you can go to to learn about it yeah I think there's there's a huge key there what you were saying is don't be too hard on yourself I mean me personally I feel like I'm always way too hard on myself and I have to constantly remind myself of that so I don't know if anybody else struggles with that out there but you know, you're, you're hearing it from the guest. Uh, she's telling you to take it easy and don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah, so. for sure. It's definitely what I've had to like teach myself, even though I'm like, remember, like, don't be too hard on yourself. But I'm like, but it should work. It was <laughs> yeah. to work. But yeah, it's a learning process. It's experimentation. It's like, do, like doing that and being open to that kind of like mentally will mm -hmm. help you become a better researcher, not just in AI, but in any field. Great. And and what area would you say you're most excited about when it comes to AI having a positive impact? So there are two. Um, and they're both like related to my chemistry history. Okay. Um, so one of them is actually like uh, drug research. So um, mm. helping, I, I don't think AI is going to find the solution to all the drugs, but I see it as a tool for um, chemists to work with data scientists and AI research to help better understand the landscape of um, like drug um, formulation and how um, how to kind of like narrow down the field that will help them then experiment and develop like things like antibiotics more quickly. Because at the moment, without um, that kind of like machine learning aspect to narrow down what's likely to work, there's so much you can try. And it's like a really like, try this, does it work? Change a little bit, try it again. And if you can use AI to narrow that, that's going to have a massive impact. And antibiotic resistance is such a huge challenge. Um, and I think it's going to come around to be more of a challenge much quicker than we think. So for me, that's a massive one. And then the other one is um, within environmental and um, like climate change and helping us um, make more accurate predictions of how climate change is going to impact the world so that we can prepare and so that we can like tackle and focus our efforts. And then also, again, kind of linked to some of the technologies I'm really interested in carbon capture and how we can use AI to like help us um, develop processes and, and compounds that can help with compound ca capture uh, with CO2 capture. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of thing. So I think they're two massively interesting areas of um, research for AI. 
Yeah, that uh, so carbons like I've I've heard. Well, first of all, full disclosure, I got my degree in petroleum and natural gas engineering, so hopefully we can still be friends. But uh, the <laughs> one of, one of the, like the big parts of uh, oil and gas is this whole talk of carbon sequestration, which is I think exactly what you're talking about, like carbon capture and reducing the carbon footprint mm-hmm. and stuff. So yeah, I think like that that language is going uh, around in the energy industry, and that's. I mean, I don't know how it compares with healthcare, but it's probably like right up there with like the size of the industry and the impact you can have. And yeah. I was curious, I was curious about the, uh, the, the drug research that you're talking about. Uh, I've recently been doing some work with GANs, the generative adversarial networks. And, uh, I've, I've heard some talk about like generating drugs or something like that. And then having the, like, what do you even think that's possible to do that? Or, I mean, so this is, I think this is like a huge topic yeah. and it's I, I, like, I think it's really interesting. And I think, I think anything is possible, mm-hmm. but I really believe that we need to do a better job of working across industries. Mm. I think, um, like, I think drug development, you have to be so careful. Um, and I think one problem with AI in these kind of areas is it can be, it's, it's quite difficult sometimes to get it to be really reproducible. Mm. Um, so I think, and, and for obviously for drug development, everything has to be really reproducible. Like you need it to be exactly <laughs> the same. Like yes, hopefully. <laughs> so I think, um, I think if we can get like AI research and I know that this is happening. So, um, I know I'm, I'm like pretty confident about this, but if we can get AI researchers working with pharmaceutical chemists, like this could be huge. And just developing, yeah, using GANs to generate different like molecular shapes. I was reading about, um, I think it was Molecule One is the company, um, mm. but I, I'll, I'll find links and send you afterwards so people can do their own research. But they are using AI in this kind of way to like generate shapes for potential drugs um, that could fit the target areas um, and the target molecules within the body. And it's really interesting, but I think we need to make sure that that link between the pharmaceutical chemists and the AI researchers is, is really strong so that we're developing something that's like safe and, and useful and like aligned with like the high ethical and um, moral standards with, which we want to have within healthcare. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we don't want to like just like loads of experiments and like have all this fun with the research because it's really interesting. We need to make sure that we're um, doing it in like an ethical way that's like benefiting people and researchers as well. Yeah. You just opened up a can of worms that we're going to have to dig into here. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) I mean, first of all, like the whole ethics piece actually like, uh, like I, I'm just bringing it up because it's it's relevant to what's happening right now. But recently there was a YouTuber that basically wrote a paper on, um, uh, 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 nano computing or, uh, it it was, a it was, uh, something along the lines of like artificial intelligence with, um, uh, quantum computing. Sorry, sorry. Mm -hmm. The Q it was like qubit, uh, research or something like that, but literally like the whole thing was plagiarized. Yeah. (laughs) And so like what you just brought up, like what the whole ethics thing, like that's like, do you, you know, how are, how are people, uh, like how should they be integrating this into their processes, I guess? Or do you have like a a little thing you want to share on that? So, I mean, in terms of like, so plagiarism aside, I think that's like a different. Okay. Potentially, but like in terms of 
like I see it in two buckets in terms of like how people are trying to like build their own brand within AI is one thing and, and how you do that ethically and honestly is, is, is one thing. And then I think this other piece around um, developing ethical AI is like a slightly different one. So I want to decouple them a little. Okay. Um, and I think um, on this, this one around um, developing AI ethically and sustainably, I think, a lot of the problems, and I'm going to focus here on like bias and algorithms that has been identified as a major challenge. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this, I, I guess I'm quite naive and I like, I like this like lovely fluffy world where everyone's friends. Um, but I think the way I think about how we can do this um, is like really like involving more people, like involve more different backgrounds, like people who are using this, technology and people who are going to be impacted by it and making sure that we're thinking about them so with my work and like the workshops that I teach as well I I try and teach people this like five wise methodology which comes from lean and has been used to um, understand root causes of problems but I like to reframe it to understand like who why would someone use the thing that you're building so if we take the example of um, drug research is like why do they need you well doctors need it and I'm doing this off my head so it may go terribly wrong but like doctors need it because they need to be able to develop new drugs because of antibiotic resistance why do they need that well because um, we've overused antibiotics and we need to narrow down the field because it's really hard why do they need that because they're under a lot of pressure why do they need this because we want to be able to maintain a healthy population like it just keep going down in the different whys Mm-hmm. And normally your wives would link to the previous wife, but I realized in my example, they didn't. Uh, forgive me, it's early in the morning. Um, and um, like get to the root cause and do that throughout your project. So you're mm-hmm. always thinking about your customer. You're always thinking about the person that's going to be impacted by it. You're making sure that um, initially when you're looking at your data set, it's like a representative sample and you're not, um, <clears throat> and you're like taking into account all of the different people that, potentially be used by it so for example there's a really great data set that you can get for facial recognition that was um, part of a woman who again name forgotten but uh, will send link mm-hmm. um, and she basically realized that all of the data sets that were being used for computer vision and facial recognition were primarily white people and even more biased towards white men so they mm-hmm. were very bad at uh, recognizing because that the algorithm hadn't been trained on them um, recognizing uh, people with different skin tones. So she created this data set, which has like a representative sample of both men and women, and then all the different like skin tones within that mm. that you can get in like the whole beautiful rainbow of humanity that you have. So that people could use that data set to develop like computer vision technology that was like much a more accurate across the spectrum and mm. it's like so stuff like that so really thinking about your customer and thinking about who's going to be impacted and i think that's a really good way that we can like develop more ethical ai yeah that that makes a lot of sense and even i know people talk about like the math involved and like how much math do you need to know like that is a perfect example of why like you might need to know a little bit about statistics like is your distribution of, uh, you know, skin tones, like, yeah, is that going to be a healthy data set to be training on? So yeah, that, thanks for bringing that up. And like, as a community, we should probably just keep that conversation wide open because, uh, it has huge implications. Like, I don't know what that data set's used for, but 
I mean, it, it kind of has huge implications, right? And I don't think anyone's trying to be biased. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone is, but like when you're researching, you're excited about developing, maybe mm -hmm. you miss something because you're seeing it through your way. But yeah. if you like open up your mind from the beginning and see it through like a broader um, spectrum of ways of looking at it, you can hopefully generate something that has that broader uses. Yeah, that like almost almost assuming that there is some bias and that you're always like hunting yeah. it down, trying yeah. to eradicate it. That that makes a lot of sense. So the other thing that you brought up uh, earlier that I wanted to dig into in that little can of worms was, you know, you have these you have these uh, chemists and then you have the machine learning people, or you know, they're they're kind of like two different places you could specialize. How do you how do you integrate those teams, or do you do you only you know are the only successful people going to be chemists that know AI or, or machine learning techniques. Uh, I, kn I know you talk about this a little bit on your blog and I was wondering if you could kind of color that in. Like, could, for example, would I be a good person to go out there and develop solutions for, you know, the healthcare because I know machine learning type thing? I mean, I think, I think again, it kind of comes down to just being open to taking feedback and being open to working with people and making sure you're communicating well across teams, which is like much easier said than done. I mean, mm. I myself have been terrible at communicating with my team and like things that I need and um, leads to misunderstandings and like confusion. But I think so long as like, yes, obviously people who have the background in both and I know some amazing researchers who have like a background in neurobiology and also like did PhDs in AI so obviously they have those two but that doesn't mean that they don't benefit if they're working in the healthcare space from also talking to doctors mm -hmm. and I don't think you need to be an expert in each area to be in, like effective and good at it I think it's helpful to understand a little bit of the science uh, from one side and a little bit of the kind of like real world context. But I think so long as you're open to working with people and really like building something together, it's always gonna be better than if you try and build it just on your own. Mm. So for you, if you wanted to go and work in healthcare and like developing AI, um, solutions within the healthcare space, I definitely think you can do it. And I think if I were you, I'd look to work for like a company or a team where they have that really open relationship and those partners with different disciplines. Cause that's where like the magic happens in my view. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And, uh, okay. So where do you think AI is needing a course correction before it's too late? Um, I think potentially we're rushing to get things into my like into the marketplace and we're trying to like um, so I'm, I'm gonna use an example I was hearing about the other day um, about um, some of the stuff that Tesla tried to do with their self-driving cars and they're kind of like autopilot so apparently they've just launched and this is secondhand information so it might not be exactly correct mm -hmm. but they launched this um, feature where you can basically send your coordinates to your phone, uh, to your phone, to your car. And um, if you're in the parking lot and the car will come to you and, and you can then get in instead of trying to like spend ages finding the car, okay. um, their computer vision, so, um, self-driving car tech, but they've seen that these cars have like hit people 
um, and like um, have hit like obstacles in the way, like like small barriers and like things. Um, and it's quite dangerous. Um, and some mm. of the like some of the and again secondhand, this might not be exactly what was said, mm-hmm. uh, but like some of the kind of like comeback from Tesla has been oh well the pedestrians were moving too quickly or like like they jumped into the car and I'm like well if we're gonna ship something that's like <laughs> says it's like self driving cars like it should at least be as good as a human and humans i am a terrible driver so like i'm not giving like a very high bar to this car but like i can deal with a slightly fast walking person right so i think we need to like i think we need to like worry less about being innovative and like seeing this like no one is denying that tesla does some incredible innovative stuff but like you shouldn't ship things if you're not completely <laughs> confident just to be just to be staying innovative. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've read the book Bad Blood, which is like one of my favorite books right now, mm-hmm. um, about um, Theranos, the the blood testing company, yeah. um, and they were just like shipping all this stuff, and it was like really unsafe to be like this cool tech company that's like able to do all these different tests when actually you're putting people at risk like we shouldn't be doing that that's completely unethical right and it's not it's not how we as data scientists and researchers want to be developing like we mm-hmm. want to be making sure that things are working well that the public are safe and that we're not just shipping things for the sake of being an innovative ai company and proving that yeah that's that's uh definitely a a challenging um, situation to be in, I guess, because like that, especially with the Silicon Valley scene, at least from the documentary that I saw with that Theranos, it's like, there's such a, like, like I'm paraphrasing here, but they were basically saying like, this is how all tech companies do it. They, they, they sell it before they have it. And it's like, yeah, but you're talking about like, (laughs) like it was insane what that whole thing turned into. Yeah, it's like, it's like, fine, sell it before you have it with like an app that's like a game on like someone's phone or like, right. help, like track their steps, fine. But like, don't sell it before you have it with a self-driving car. Like, right. come on. Like, yeah. It's an entirely different like, impact of it not, of it not going wrong, of it going wrong. Like if it goes wrong, that's an entirely different mm-hmm. world. And we need to be mindful of that and be careful with how we do these things. Yeah. And that, so, so would you say this is kind of like a new problem or have you seen any trend in like the awareness of, of ethics in the space? I think, I think the awareness of ethics is becoming like increasing, like people are increasingly pushing back. Um, Data scientists and people working at these companies are increasingly Mm -hmm. pushing back. I think, I think it's one of, it's, it's, I guess it happens with any technology as it matures, right? So if we go way back to the industrial revolution and factories and we were first starting to like have people working in factories they were like not safe and like people would die all the time and then obviously like legislation came in and like they became safer and now like at least like in europe where i live like factory like conditions are very safe and like we have a way to go in some other places, but mm-hmm. we at least recognize and acknowledge that that's important. And that technology, that was something that we had the um, privilege of it was developing very slowly comparatively to how AI is developed. 
And so I think it takes a little while for people to catch up. And that's kind of compounded by the fact that most people haven't got a clue what AI actually is and how it does. And we don't necessarily do a very good job of explaining that to the general public. Mm. So I think it's, it's, it's not a new problem, but it's becoming more of a problem. But at the same time, people are like definitely starting to put stakes in the ground and say like, no, we can't have this happen. Like we need to make sure that we're doing it this way and how that's going to end up. I, I don't know, like how we're going to self-regulate, how um, we're going to be regulated. These are all like big questions that we, we need to start like answering. And I know that we are answering now, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. And, and maybe even more of a reason to get, to increase the uh, working population in that space because then you've got more diversity and more ideas and more eyeballs kind of check and balancing what's really going on. Like, is, would you agree with that statement that we need more people in that space? Yeah, absolutely. Like 100%. We need to get more people. It'd be great if it was like a standard part of education that Mm. kind of like, um, do you see, do you see that happening? Or what would it take to make it happen? Um, I think it will happen. Like, I mean, I think it's, it's way painfully slow. Like if I think about like when I was at school, computer mm-hmm. science and IT class, we went on Word and we like typed things with Word art and we made posters and that <laughs> was computers. Um, and so I, I think that it's improving. Like yeah. I think people are actually learning like computer science and like, entry level now a bit more at schools and I know I was listening like people are trying to get like data and data literacy more on the mathematics curriculum I understand Mm -hmm. in the US stats is like a very small part of mathematics in the UK it's a third um of the mathematic curriculum so I guess oh wow um which Mm. I did not realize that it wasn't the same everywhere in the world but apparently it isn't but um so I think like that will help getting people more like used to like data in schools through mathematics classes and making those a bit more practical and interesting for people. Um, and then hopefully like having better computer science education in schools <laughs> will help. Cause like, like I was saying before, you don't need to be an expert in everything in like, we shouldn't all be trying to be experts in mm-hmm. everything. You need that variety of knowledge, but like you should have a basic understanding and we should be giving that to our children. Yeah. And you talk about that in your, I think it's like your intro guide to artificial intelligence Mm. on your blog. You talk about that and you talk about uh, the importance of soft skills, which we kind of left that thread in in one of the last questions. But I just wanted to highlight that, that um, there is a resource if people are listening here and they they want to get acquainted with these ideas in a nice packaged uh, Mm. guide. You've made one uh, on this, on the subject, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important. What are, what are, uh, or why are many incredibly talented people not able to make the most of their applied AI skills? I think, I think this kind of, I think this is like a problem as, and as, as, as a scientist, I see myself as one of these problems of researching is really fun. Um, and like developing different things is really fun. And like, sometimes you just want to work on something that's really fun because it interests Mm -hmm. you. So you're like, Oh, this is a problem. Let me go see about that. And let me like learn that. Um, and I think 
then you end up like building and then you're like, look what I made. Isn't it fun? Like, look at this thing. It's really interesting. Um, and then, um, then someone else looks at it and is like, why the fuck have you made that? Like, it's not <laughs> I'm like, great. You could tell me that this is a dog. I already knew that. <laughs> like, why? Right. Um, um, so I think like that, um, that kind of like attitude is great when you're like practicing and learning, but when you start mm -hmm. to like get better at building up a portfolio and you start like having a more understanding of, of these different, um, technologies and how they can be used, then you need to kind of come back and think about like, okay, so this is the problem that I'm looking at solving. Um, how can I do that in a way that's useful? And it comes back to this piece around like thinking about the end user and thinking about like, um, like more taking more time to think through like, what are the different aspects of this problem that are going to be important? How can I present this to them in a way that they're going to be able to understand? Like, what is the data that I need to solve this problem? for the customer and not just like the data that I think is most interesting to use. Mm -hmm. And also I think like, what's the simplest way I can do this? I think it's so tempting to do things in like the most interesting and the most technologically advanced way. But if you could solve this with a linear regression, that's like not that memory intensive and can like really get the right answer quickly and to the high enough accuracy that's going to be useful, then that's what you should do as opposed to like trying to build this whole like neural network that takes all this GPU and like takes this much long time to train. Um, and I think like doing that and thinking about like things more commercially, more um, like from the point of view of the user is, is going to really help people apply their AI skills in a more impactful way. Mm. Yeah. What I, what I like about what you just said there is there's kind of like diminishing returns. It sounds like yeah, with, with these different uh, machine learning techniques specifically. So um, you know, just kind of, like, like if somebody asks you a question, for example, and you could answer it with a yes, like, do you need to go into like this long thing? Like, that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, and it, it's almost like a sign of being a professional. It's like you have this toolkit, but if you could solve it with a linear regression or get 80% of the solution and yeah. kind of keep the project rolling. No, I, I love that. And actually using that same methodology that you just, you basically were talking about reverse engineering a problem and coming yeah. up with a solution. And you do the same thing for, for people and their goals. And I was wondering, I was wondering um, what is your method to helping someone reverse engineer their goals? And maybe you just said it with that answer to the previous question, but I was curious. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so my method is always like based on uh, what I learned when I worked in like, the company I worked here previously, which was, um, it was a chemical company, but it was also an, a, like an engineering manufacturing company. Okay. So we spent a lot of time doing Lean, Six Sigma, Five Ys. And I think, I just think those tools are so powerful for helping you reverse engineer any problems. So they like hmm. going through that process and like working backwards from like, this is the problem to like, this is the root uh, of the issue is really powerful for people trying to reverse engineer goals, trying to reverse engineer projects. Like I touched on before, I think it helps you do them more ethically because you're thinking about like who's going to use it, why are they using it, where mm -hmm. are they using it. But also when you're a beginner and you're looking at building up a portfolio, um, like it really helps you understand like 
if this is the problem, like what are the skills that I need to show to get this job? And then you can kind of like reverse engineer what the job entails to work out what are the projects that you should focus on. And then if you have a project, uh, like, oh, I need to find out, um, I'm trying to think of a project off the top of my head and obviously it's not going well. Um, so for example, one like easy example is like forecasting. Mm -hmm. So um, a retailer wants to understand like how much stock they should buy in. So like reverse engineering that problem and finding like a simple solution that's going to solve that using machine learning, how you do that, how you get the data, what are the different uh, factors you need to think about and consider um, in that forecasting? Like, how do you deliver that to your client? When do they need it? How often does it need to be refreshed? All of these different things. If you mm. can use the five whys to help you frame that problem. And I think by using that system and having like a solid framework, it just simplifies everything you try and do. Um, mm. And it just focus in rather than having like the whole of AI to like start with, you can just have this like, okay, this is where I should go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you also talk about mind mindset and shifting the mindset. And so I was wondering where does someone need to shift their mindset before they can really execute on their goals and make an impact with AI mm, or can I it even be bucketed? I don't know. I figured you'd be the person to ask though. <laughs> um, I guess like for me, it's always, it's always about the customer and like the company I work okay. in is like a customer obsessed company. <laughs> so I guess I've had this like drilled into me, like always the customer. Um, <laughs> so, like, my um, so I guess like that's, that would always be like my first step, like the mindset. Okay. But also the other piece so there's like, if you're trying to solve a problem, like get into the shoes before you try mm. the saying, I've just thought the saying. the saying is like, if you want to understand a person, walk a mile in their shoes. Right. So if you want right. to understand the problem, like get into the person who has the problems mindset as opposed to like the, I've just been asked to solve this problem by my boss or look, my client. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other piece I think is like, uh, I think as well, a really good tip is to not try and then, everything um around mindset and if you're like starting out and you want to get into uh, like um being able to learn ai effectively like don't try and learn everything like don't feel like you need to learn every single type of algorithm there is and every single application of ai like some of the some of the researchers I know who are incredible, they really, they've only ever specialized in one area. For example, mm. like um, a friend of mine who does like research in medical imaging, she only really has ever done that kind of like CNN. And she's really an expert in that space. And she's really great at that. Um, and she's working for an incredible company doing incredibly important work. But like, if you wanted her to like build you an algorithm to do forecasting, for example, like she wouldn't do that. Like that's not her area. Mm -hmm. So I think that mindset shift, which is really hard for technical people, I think in particular, because yeah. it, it can feel like you're a fraud if you don't know everything. So just forget that. <laughs> like That's not it. Mm -hmm. um, and just like focus. And initially I would always say focus on, and I realize I'm, spinning roundabouts of tour with my thought process so it may not be easy to follow but no, it's focus, making sense good focus on um i would say initially focus on an area that interests you 
because if it interests you when it's really fucking hard and nothing is working, you'll keep going. Right. And then you can like become an expert in that area and like build up your confidence in that area and then work out what you want to do. Don't try and learn it all because it's never gonna, it's never gonna end well for you. Yeah. That, especially for the entrepreneur types out there. And there's kind of like a classic joke, like we've never heard of a bad idea. So this advice that you're giving right now, I think it's, I think it's very good because it kind of, uh, it kind of forces you to niche down and, yeah. uh, that's, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. wh- what patterns are you seeing between, um, uh, developers that maximize their impact versus ones who do not, uh, maximize their impact? Is there any sort of like difference between them or is it, is there any patterns you're seeing, I guess, in, in that area? I guess I haven't, like, full disclosure, I probably haven't seen enough examples to, develop, okay. to like, understand patterns. Um, but I would say, like, from the people I work with, like, the ones who I work with, like, the um, machine learning engineers I work with who are the most impactful, they mm-hmm. are ones who really focused in an area. and and who've really like tried to become an expert in that they're ones that like actively seek out feedback from people who are going to be using the things they're ones who when you're so for example uh, my primary role at the moment um, in the company is a product manager role so when I'm speaking to them and I'm telling them about the the customer problems that we're solving and like now we have this data and look at this study about how customers are using this thing then they're the ones that like actually really listen to that and like we're able to work together and update the what the the projects that we're working on mm-hmm. to um to kind of like meet that need as opposed to ones who are like wanting to test out lots of different interesting things that they read in a paper will solve this problem mm-hmm. because, yeah i think um that mindset and like that ability to kind of open up your mind to different options and ideas is, is what will make you successful. Excellent. And uh, what do you think has remained the same when it comes to getting a high tech job? Cause I know the technology changes so rapidly. Is there some, something that's kind of uh, like evergreen when it comes to getting high tech jobs? Is there any patterns you've seen with that? Um, I'm going to take examples from people I know who okay. have who, um, like someone I met who is like a self-trained developer um, who was now working as a software engineer at Google. And it was, he was saying like, the thing is, it's not about what you know. It's about like your openness to learn and your openness to kind of like solve problems. I think prob- like in high, in tech, like, it's all about problem solving and how you solve problems. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I know um, from like when I was interviewed and like when I was then talking, having been hired, like, why did you hire me? It's like, we just like the process, the way you think about things. And it's, we're always, we're not so much testing on knowledge. I mean, of course, some roles, it's very much, you need to have specific domain knowledge, mm-hmm. but it's more around like, can this person, think about problems and can this person break down problems in a way that's going to allow them to be effective in this environment. And that's Mm. what my Google said. That's what I found. Like it's all around how you solve problems and like how you systemize and work through processes is is Mm. like one thing that people will really look for in high tech jobs. Now, having said that, 
I'm not a hiring manager, so like, and I don't run any of these companies. So I don't know that for sure, but like, I know that if I am hiring or I am looking for to like bring people on, and from what other people have said, that's super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm I'm happy that you kind of went that that route with that question. It certainly confirms a lot of things that I uh, I communicate to people. So for that, you know, I'm forever grateful. But basically, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, like you know, if you're my, my, my whole premise is like, we all are learning this code thing ultimately to monetize our skills. So how, you know, how is anybody going to pull $1 or one pound out of their wallet and pay you for something? Well, it boils down to, you know, you're solving a problem for them. So basically what you're talking about is get really good at problem solving. And sometimes that might not even require code. So code people, you know, like don't, don't forget that there's always like an easy out, you know, there might be there, you know, your mission is to solve problems, not create glorious programs that maybe you don't yeah. never even needed type thing. So thank you so much for going that route. I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, that yeah. answer. Um, so, so you talked about if you had to start over from scratch or you were kind of dropped into like a foreign land, how would you get profitable in six months? And you mentioned you would do networking for four months, product development for one month, and then product launch for one month. So what is a good framework to operate in when networking with people uh, since that's like two thirds of the effort that you would take to get profitable? Yeah. So the reason, so just to give it like a little bit more context mm-hmm. on that, the reason I would do that is to understand the problems that are, there are mm-hmm. and understand which ones like from a really cynical way, people are willing to pay to have solved. <laughs> right. if I was like looking um, for that and to do that, you really need to listen to people. So I would go out and I would like think about where are the people, okay, I vaguely want to work in computer vision and I want to work in like medical image processing maybe. Um, Like, okay, so where are the people that need this technology hanging out? Um, Or like, what, what do they read? What are they interested in? Like, are they in Facebook groups? Like, who are they going to meetups? Like, um, who do they follow on Twitter? Like all of these kind of things. And I would really like try and get to know people in the space, like listen, like ask them, like, what are your biggest problems? What are your challenges? Like, how do you like to work? And like, just try and learn as much as I could Mm -hmm. about the people who I'm trying to solve the problem for. Um, and like what would solve that problem. I'd ask them a lot about if I was trying to build something for them, I would ask them a lot about like, what does good look like? Whenever I go into like a new project, I always go to like the stakeholders and I'm like, if I was like the perfect person for you in this situation, like what would I be doing? Um, And ask those kind of questions and learn and get them to try and like solve the problem themselves. And then, cause then you have like, they're a little bit more invested in what you're trying to build. Um, and then you can kind of spend time building it, make, get their feedback as you kind of go through, do it iteratively. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, you know, they, they've been waiting for this five months for this product that you want to, that you're building for them. And then you're like, okay, I'm ready to sell it. And they're like, great. <laughs> well, here's all of my money. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah. It's listen when you're doing that networking piece, it's like listening to people, understanding their problems. Like don't try and tell them the answer, like let them tell you the answer. And then you can kind of like translate that into something. And that's what I do go to where they are. Like, even if you're, you can't meet up with them physically. Now the wonderful thing about the internet age, like 
this podcast, for example, like I'm in the UK, you're in the US and we're having this conversation. Like you don't have to be there in person to mm-hmm. get value and learn. Yeah. It's all, it's almost like the, the options to be a little more creative for when it mm-hmm. comes to researching like uh, that, like it's just wide open. Um, I, I kind of think about in my mind, like what are, what are kind of some tangible ways to network? I, I know in your um, one, I don't know if it's the AI guide or something that, that you wrote, it was talking about like meetups, for example, being great places to kind of go learn about these things. Do you have any other kind of tangible um, examples, I guess, or is it just totally different? Like if you're doing medical, you need to go to probably where the medical people hang out or uh, any other industry you kind of have to go where they hang out or, or is there a way to kind of generalize it a little more? I think Facebook groups can be really good. I mean, I don't okay. use Facebook that much anymore apart from to listen in Facebook groups. Okay. So when I'm like developing resources for my blog and like some of the bootcamp ones I did more recently that came out of see, hearing what questions people at the like beginner level, which is my primary kind of target to intermediate Okay. Uh, what were they asking? Like, what are the questions that people are asking from the groups? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good way to like learn um, and understand a space better and understand problems. And um, I think that's a really practical one. I think also like if you, um, it's worth looking at research papers. Now, I kind of often say that not all research is useful, and I fully stand by that because not all research is useful, Uh, but it can be good to help you understand like, okay, why are people working on these things? Because Mm -hmm. if research teams are putting time into trying to solve problems, it probably means that there's like a business case behind that because research is expensive. Um, And as much as it's fun, like the people funding it are funding it for a reason. Right. Uh, And so that can be quite a practical way to like learn a bit more and also learn about Hmm. like the state of the art right now. Um, what are people testing what's working um, as another hmm. kind of more practical way of doing it. Okay, cool. I'm really loving both of those answers. Thanks for sharing that. When it, when it comes to ideating solutions, do you have some sort of, and maybe you've already said it, but I just really want to hone in on this. Like you've, let's say you've got this framework for exploring problems, but then, then it comes to the solution side. How do you ideate solutions or is there a framework you operate in when doing that? Yeah, so um, when I'm looking at solutions, I like I have a cheat sheet that I've developed and started using that kind of takes you through. I think like if we're, I'm going to focus specifically on like like AI, and so we've got okay. um, we've got like the problem that we're trying to solve now. We've come to the root cause through the five whys in the framework. And um, then it's kind of like, where are we getting our data from? Let's assume that we've got the data um, that we want to work through. Um, And so I have like a little pyramid I follow, which is like, why understand data, get the data, understand that, uh, play around with it, like think about it. And then there's like, depending on the problem you're trying to solve, uh, there are more standard ways that you can solve problems in different spaces. So you can kind of bucket out um, how you do that. So for example, just trying to think of like a good example for people like forecasting, like there mm-hmm. are certain algorithms that are known to be better at forecasting. Like random forest is really good at, for people in forecasting, for example, and like different, different options there. So you can kind of start to already like cut out 
a lot of the ways that you can you would want to test to solve that just by knowing what's already working well in that space and optimizing mm. on And then like the big piece I think as well when you're thinking about solving problems is like how do I then present this to the user? Um, so like what's going to be the best way? So is it going to be like a web app or is it going to be just like a document that will help them? Uh, is it going to have to be some kind of like ongoing thing that's going to continuously solve this problem or can we just do it one off? And thinking about that as well before you start building, mm. I think is really important because if you don't and you come up with your algorithm first, then when you're trying to present it to someone, maybe they won't be able to use it and you've just wasted a load of time and you should have done it another way because that's going to help you mm-hmm. make a better solution. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know if you're already doing this or not, but that sounds like a, that, uh, that cheat sheet that you just mentioned. It sounds mm-hmm. like a really cool lead magnet. Um, I don't know if it's. It if, is. You can, yeah. you can get it and then you can join my email list and you'll get access to all of my boot camps as well where okay, I go cool. through my different frameworks. I can send it to you if you think that it will be helpful for people. For sure. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I didn't go down the, uh, the funnel. I, I probably should have done that to prepare even more for this, um, just to really dig into it. But, um, I'll certainly be digging in to the, to the funnel after this. Cause I'm really liking what you're sharing here. So, yeah, uh, I just like, oh, I, I like to, I like, I'm such, I'm such a, like, I'm such a, nerd and systems person like everything I do I try and like okay I'm like I'm gonna learn it and then I'm gonna put it in a framework and I'm gonna leave it there and then I can just come back because I think I think of my mind like a load of boxes and like everything needs to be in a little box because otherwise there's too much stuff (laughs) like so it's like I always work in this kind of like way of Mm -hmm. like putting everything in its little framework or its little system and like obviously things have to be adapted and like need to work but at least if you have like a broad framework you're never starting from scratch and like Mm -hmm. you're never like ah crap where am I going to start with this project you're like ah well first I do this and like maybe I have to adapt it but at least I have like step one (laughs) ready yeah oh I um just while you're while you're sharing that I'm I'm just like trying to figure out like the right words to uh, uh, voice this, but basically like, like there's, there's some element of like jealousy actually when I hear that, cause I, I don't feel like I have those types of frameworks in place or as much as I would like to. And so whenever I see somebody with clarity like that, I'm just, I'm, I'm super attracted to that. Cause I'm like, how are they doing it? Like, how did they oh, crack I'm the like code? You know, <laughs> I, I went on a sabbatical, um, a few months ago from okay. work to like, build out more of these frameworks and like really dive into AI more. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I went, I automated myself. <laughs> I like, I, like the team weren't getting a replacement for me. And I thought they were like, they already had enough work to do. So I was like, I'll just automate myself. And then like, and it was quite fun. I enjoyed the process. And they were like, you do realize you know, you now we now you're automated. I'm like, yeah, but it's like, good. I like to automate. Were, what um, resources did you learn or was it completely empirical how you kind of developed um, like the meta, like the framework for making frameworks or is that even like a real, is that a real question? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like my answer is not going to satisfy you, but I think it's just how I think. Okay. Like, I've always thought this way. Like if always, clear brain. Well, it's, it, I think it drives my partner mad because okay. it's like, I try everything's like stop trying to systemize our life <laughs> like, like it's just how i am yeah. um 
but I guess a lot of, a lot of this more like really structured stuff comes from my lean training. I think okay. if you have a lot of like lean engineers, I don't know if you, have, if you yourself have done lean within Mm-mm. oil and gas, not so much, but um, I think it's like a very this and this and this, then evaluate that. Like it's always a bit like that. Um, okay. so that's, that's why I draw on that experience. I just, I find it really useful. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I know we're coming up pretty close on the hour here. Um, I just have a, just a handful of questions left for you. Are we doing good on time? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. cool. I got the uh, time. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I wanted to know what is the biggest lesson that you've learned after building out your online program? Um, good is better than perfect. Mm. Uh, like, and done, sorry. And done is better than perfect. Okay. I think, I, the reason I'm so passionate about telling people not to try not to learn anything, everything is because I tried to learn everything and I nearly died. (laughs) Like it's so hard. Mm. Um, and I think as well, like the thing I've learned is like, you don't have, like, I think one of the things I've struggled with most, um, looking back on it is like feeling like an imposter because I'm just like teaching myself and I never meant the blog. To cut, I never actually meant to start a blog. Like I was just telling my friend about my plan to like save the world from the perils of fake news and machine learning. And right. she was like, be a blog. <laughs> and so it was like, I never like, I kind of fell into this world mm-hmm. and or I've struggled, I think with um, like feeling like an imposter because I'm self-taught or, and I'm kind of doing it with my readers and I'm learn. I learn something, I framework it and then I write about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm only like a couple of steps ahead. And I think, um, the biggest learning I've had is that you really only need to be a couple of steps ahead. And if you can talk, like explain something that you've just learned, actually, you're probably going to be a better teacher to hmm. someone, someone who's been doing it for years and like, doesn't remember the like bits that are going to confuse you. Um, when you're new. So like getting to grips with that, getting to grips with like being like explaining things and like being happy sharing like my own crazy way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And then hearing that that helps people and people find it useful because it's different. Um, That's like the biggest thing I've learned and like just getting comfortable in that space and getting to know this community, like the community of developers is so welcoming and it can seem really scary when you're starting out and it's like Mm -hmm. tech and like everyone's an expert and you're just new and it's like oh. um but like people are so welcoming people are so friendly like you can always find help like people mm. are so willing to help and like don't be scared off by the comments on stack overflow which are like you idiot you should have people <laughs> this um and, like keep going <laughs> like don't let that put you off um so mm-hmm. yeah it's been a really interesting experience like i don't know what the one thing i've learned is there's been so much, um, but like probably the community aspect has been the most rewarding piece and like helping yeah. people. Yeah, actually, uh, I wanted to ask you exactly about, that was kind of my next line of questioning here was, what is the biggest lesson you've learned for, on community, on building community? I think the biggest lesson is to just like be yourself and be friendly, be kind. Like mm. I see a lot of people who can be like, I see a lot of things like 
people ask for help and they're like, why are you asking me these like questions? And like, sometimes someone knows that they can look something up on Google, but sometimes people just need someone to reassure, like they ask you because they need that reassurance that they can ask and you've like said it's okay. Like mm. they want that connection. So I think just like be kind to people, be patient and like be open. Like when you're struggling or like, then be open about that and like be and let people help you when someone reaches out to you for help like if you can help them help them um and like just be kind to one another and be be willing to like let that community develop slowly over time because these things they don't nothing happens as quickly as we would like and you've got to be patient and you've got to be open and hmm. like yourself yeah thanks for sharing that i i find myself um kind of all go down that, that thought process sometimes. And I, I'm basically just totally guilty of what, what you were just saying, which is like, they ask you a question and you're just like, Google, you know, <laughs> but you know, but really what that is, um, I, I'm thinking now is, uh, like, for example, if you have these skills, do you think it would be appropriate to make like a chat bot or something? And then you just have like a place that you could refer them to and then everybody's happy. Yeah, I think so. But I'm um, like, part of me is like, what, like, is the chatbot more helpful than Google? I'm like, right. <laughs> yeah, like, so the, like, we don't, we need the human. That's like, I, part of yeah, the equation, I guess. I think, like, I think I genuinely believe like, if like, from for me, I'm like, if I'm asking you the question, it's not because I don't think I can find the answer. It's because I want someone to reassure from me. you. Like, yeah. Not you, but like someone. Like, right. Oh, uh, it makes. And it, like, yeah, yeah, you have some major like emotional intelligence. I think is what I like. What what you're saying is kind of reminding me like exactly that. Emotional intelligence is really going to help with community building. If I if yeah. I had to kind of sum it up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's just be kind. Like the world mm -hmm. is mean. Like people are mean. Like just be kind. <laughs> just be nice to people. I love it. I think I think you're gonna you know take over the world just by basically being kind with your mission. <laughs> It's really inspiring. I, I say keep up the good work if, if you needed that message, but it sounds like you're already doing it. So uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm super happy to have you on the show. Um, can, I, can I ask you just a few more questions? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. So should, because um, I've seen this happen in YouTube comments a lot actually, where people will talk about them being like 40 plus years old and they want to move out of their career and do like this high tech field. So um, should age or professional background be a reason to get started with the data science trend or, or not? Like how should, should those even be factors if your passion is there? Can you kind of just talk about this little? I mean, I don't think age should ever be a factor. Like, okay. So I, I only started a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm 30 this week. Um, and Happy I just, birthday. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> um, so, and I just started, and I realized 30 is young, but like I'm starting, and I don't see age should be a barrier if you want to learn. I actually think, again, like potentially a little off topic, I think learning new skills like is good for you mentally, particularly mm. as you get older because it keeps your brain active. And so, actually, if anything, age should be a good reason to start, and you have like experience when you're older, you've got these different experiences in different areas and kind of coming back to my point on 
like bringing in people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different understandings of the world, I think it makes the science stronger. Hmm. Um, and like, obviously you need to be willing to put in the work, like whatever age you are, whatever background, you need to be willing to like spend the time learning about the mathematics that go on, like spend the time understanding what's happening mm-hmm. um, and not like understanding the problems and understanding like the code. I really um, enjoy actually recently I've been doing the fast AI course. Well, I did it a while ago um, okay. and I love that course because it, it, it um, they take you into the source code, which for someone who's like newer in the world of programming and like someone taking me into the source code and like showing me how it all works and making me understand it. I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I feel like a genius. <laughs> Um, so you like, I think you have to be willing, like, I think you have to be willing to explore that and, um, like put in the hours, like don't expect it to come quickly. But mm-hmm. so long as you have that, like, I think it's great if you're, so I have another friend who's like, was a nurse and she's now learning AI because she wants to work and do it in healthcare. Like nursing is not a traditional computer science background, but like she's able to bring that into what she does and it's amazing. And it's like mm-hmm. so cool she's doing that um now and so i think it's i think it's great but be willing to put in the work mm, okay yeah thanks for sharing that and back to your nurse friend real quick that that could eventually turn into her superpower because yeah. of the diversity in her background so um yeah thank you for answering the question that way i think that's empowering for a lot of people that maybe are feeling like this is something that maybe they want to do but maybe they're not cut out for it or something like go for it, like age background. Like if you're willing to put in the work, you can do this. That's basically the message. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So, um, I wanted to talk about social media just a little bit. I had two questions on that and, uh, I was curious how, how did you prioritize your social media platform presence? I know you were very specific on the ones you chose and I was just wondering how, like what was your thought process with, with social so, media presence. It's not going to be um, profound, just so we're clear. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I chose Pinterest because mm-hmm. it's easy. I can do it mu- like I love to do, I love to batch work. It goes with my system mentality. So mm-hmm. I love to like batch do things. Um, Pinterest I can batch do within like half an hour. I can do like a month's worth of content. It's really easy. Okay. And I can schedule it out. So I love that because uh, it doesn't require any of my mental time and it doesn't require me to be there so much. I actively chose not to go for Twitter because I find Twitter to be, um, for me, it's like, it's too on. And I'm someone who okay. like, it, like really prioritizes my mental health. I've struggled a lot in the past and I'm very mm-hmm. open about that. Um, and I find Twitter to be like too intense and too on. And so I was like, I'm not going to prioritize this one because it feels too much for me and like my mental headspace. So I'm just not going to do it. And okay. I, Instagram, I actually found like a really nice community there. I know it can be like really comparative, comparison driven and a lot of people find it really challenging. Mm-hmm. I've not so much found that I think because just because I'm like very willing to like take breaks from it. So and it doesn't, when it, I feel like I can't be bothered to like be there and I can't show up in the way that I want to be or that it's going to be damaging to my headspace to do mm-hmm. it. Don't do it. <laughs> like yeah. I just don't post even though. And like, um, 
full disclosure, like my Instagram post is scheduled out like a month in advance because I batch do it. And I batch record a lot of my story content when it's about tutorials. So it's all done. But if I feel like I can't show up while I post and I can't be around, mm-hmm. I just don't. But I do like that platform because um, funny story, I'm really dyslexic, which is hilarious because I write for my site, like my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like pictures. So Instagram works really well for me. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, I told you it wouldn't be profound. Um, but I'm, that's I'm loving it. This is, no, this is exactly like, I'm just going through your thought process and you're, you're doing a great job here. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Love the validation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, was, was there more to it or I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, no more to it. Really okay. that much. <laughs> so when it, when it comes to batching the, uh, or like scheduling the posts, I, I know you had written some content on tailwind. Is there other resources that you're using to uh, so produce I, that content or. So for my Instagram, I use, um, a program, a tool, a company, um, <laughs> called plan that and i really like them because they like hashtags for you and i can do it all in advance and i can play around with how it looks i'm very visual so i like things to look look nice okay um and so yeah i use that to do to do all of that stuff but i don't really think about it that deeply like occasionally i have like friends who i know through instagram messaging me like how do you do all your hashtags like how do you think about that and i'm like the short answer is i don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i don't worry about it too much i think people work like I think if you think about it too much, you worry about it too much, you put too much on it, which I think is like a big thing with social media and people who want to be influencers. I have no desire to be an influencer. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems like a lot of work. (laughs) And I feel like I'd have to be there a lot more than I want to be. Um, So yeah. Um, And I think people put a lot, again, people put a lot of pressure on themselves to do these things and like be this way because someone has said that they have to, but let me tell you, you do not have to (laughs) like Mm -hmm. just do like what feels good to you and like do it in a way that is healthy for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that uh, probably is part of the reason why somebody could be in your exact space and attract like a different tribe of people because of exactly what you're talking about there. And so it makes a lot of sense to just kind of do you like what you're saying. Yeah. And always do community over competition. Like mm, there's plenty I, to go around, be kind, be helpful, like just community over competition. There's mm. more than enough for everyone. Did you, is that, is that something you developed or coined yourself or <laughs> did you, did you, cause I like, I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I listen to a lot of different like podcasts from like marketing people and like people who have built these like online brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and they always say community over competition. Like there's no okay. point competing with people because you're really only harming yourself. And mm-hmm. because someone likes one person doesn't mean that they can't like you. Like it's right. all about, like finding people that you can help um, and that relate to your message and find and you can teach them in a way that's like helpful to them um, as opposed to like trying to have everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, you may have already uh, answered this in a certain way, but I just really wanted to laser focus in on this. What have you learned about basically keeping your sanity while also keeping a social media presence? My always, my tip is prioritize your sanity. Like prioritize um, yourself and don't feel like, I think one of the things I struggled with initially was, oh my God, if I don't post 
these people aren't going to be helped and then they're going to be really sad and like I'm going to really let them down because I didn't post every single day of the week in March. Um, <laughs> like no one is no one is watching you that closely. Number right. one, <laughs> like even the people that I watch really closely on social media, like I don't see everything that they do. Right. So like feel that way. Um, you're not that important. Sorry. Um, like, yeah, it's like the ego talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, you're putting yourself way high in these people's <laughs> like world when like they really only are there for them like, in the nicest way yeah so, yeah and always like i am always like very open on my social media it's not happened so much recently because i'm in a really good place right now but like i took loads of breaks and i would just be like guys i'm not gonna post for a while because i need a break or like when i came back and like didn't post for a month because i needed a break for my head space now i'm feeling better i'll i'm back <laughs> like and just like always, always prioritize your health and your sanity. Like social media is like, it's, it's just a tool. Like it's not your life. Like it doesn't need to be just like, go outside, go for a walk, see your friends. Like don't worry about Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. That, th- thanks for sharing that. I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's a whole wide world out there and uh, social is just a little, little snippet yeah. of it so and yeah it's, so, it's fake like the like <laughs> let me tell you right now like those pictures so every picture that's been on my instagram for the last three months they would take so i hired a photographer which i said on my instagram because i like things to look nice and so yeah. i wanted photos. um they were all taken on one day and you will be seeing those photos from that one day until i think january because that's how many <laughs> photos i have like it's not real i didn't take the wear that outfit like i didn't do that the other day right like, and like, it's the same, like people, like, it's not how it looks. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I mean what I say in my captions. Yes, I, I, I mainly did those photos, but it was such a fun photo shoot. I was just pulling silly poses. As you can see, I'm a little weird. Uh, but like, I just pulling cool. making really silly faces. I just wanted to make people laugh with yeah. my photos. Um, so like, it's not real. Like, don't, just because it looks like everything's really beautiful. It's, Mm-hmm. I know everyone says like, it's not real, but let me tell you that it's not real. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I want, I often wonder if there's a market for like the, the entire anti-pattern. I've actually been testing it out because I'll see pictures of people's like dev centers and it's like this glorious command center. And so I'll like post, you know, my command center, which is not glorious at all, neon lights or anything like that. And no. so I'm like constantly seeking out like little, uh, you know, people, if people are gravitating towards stuff like that, maybe there's a way to carve out attention by doing the complete opposite, I guess yeah, is kind of my premise of that. But I always, I always like that. There's a woman that I follow called Jenna Kutcher who has like this massive podcast. Like it's frequently in the top like business podcasts. Like it's called the gold digger. Okay. Um, she posted, it was her 300th episode and mm. she posted on her Instagram stories, her recording the podcast and literally she's in her cupboard, like not closet, it's a cupboard and it's like full of like dirt, like boxes and like, like old padding samples. and stuff. Okay. And like and she has her mic in a cardboard box with a couple of cushions around it and she's like, this is where the <laughs> podcast is filmed. Like studio, like not this, like this is like number one podcast for like months on this thing. Uh, like millions of people listening it's in this cardboard box in my cupboard <laughs> that's awesome yeah. yeah that's that's awesome um yeah that's all right well thanks for sharing that and uh, so i have some kind of last little questions for you here um what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received Ooh. Uh, 
I'm trying to think of like something profound and useful <laughs> for people. I guess it's like, you don't have to please everyone. Like, I, and um, I've recently been working with like a life coach to help me with some of my like challenges. <laughs> um, and like hers is just like other people, this is it actually, other people's opinions do not define you. Mm-hmm. Like you, people always give you their opinions on you and what you are and how you do, but like that doesn't define you. That defines them. Like their opinions define them, not you. And you can kind of take it, but like let it wash over you and it's fine. So that, mm-hmm. that's the best piece of advice I've ever got. Yeah, that's, th- uh, thanks for sharing that. There's probably, <clears throat> you could probably do a whole podcast on that. It just sounds like, it's, it sounds like, uh, I don't know. I, I just think about myself. Like when you're, when you're kind of putting yourself out there, I don't know, you've just got to be trained. You've got to have thick skin and that's kind of what it sounds like. That's what you're talking about a little bit. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you're going to make mistakes and people are going to jump on those mistakes. But like that doesn't define you as like a programmer or a researcher. Mm-hmm. Everyone makes mistakes. Like, yeah. So yeah. Don't, don't pay too much mind to it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks for sharing that. And then what is the best like non-technical book that you've read or one that you've enjoyed recently? Oh, it's going to be like really fluffy, but like the best, the best book, like for my life that I've read. So mm-hmm. I, I have two. Can I have like sure, a fun go one? Go for it. Fun? Yeah. So my favorite book, fun one, which is also quite nerdy, is The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. It's a play and it's just hilarious. And I always read it when I need a laugh. Okay. So um, it's like obviously written like like years and years and years ago. It's very old, but it's, it's really funny. It's just like plays on words all the time. It's hilarious. Hmm. But like the best book in terms of my life that I've read, the most impact, is a book called The Four Agreements, which is basically, I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, I got it. I got it on my shelf here, actually. Oh, I, yeah. Great. It's just great. Like that, the first statement around mental, like well-being and like how to be a good person, like be impeccable with your word, like Mm -hmm. be kind, like you just don't try not to be an asshole, like as much as possible. I kind of forgot about that book a little, like it's sitting on my shelf, but I haven't, I I don't think I've even read it in the last year, but. I recently started rereading it and I'm just like, be impeccable with your word. Such a great, such a great lesson. Mm Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for the reminder. I will. So, so I'm, I'm looking for uh, books to kind of dig into and maybe even create content around that from my own perspective. And I think that would be kind of a cool book to, uh, yeah, it's great to build content around. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Do you play video games at all? I don't, but my partner does. I like, I never had a video. I never had a console growing up like uh-huh. ever. Like and so my friends had one and we would go around and I would play Crash Bandicoot, but that's the limit of my video gaming experience. What would your partner say is the best video game ever made then? Uh, if you don't, unless you have an opinion on this area. Uh, what was he playing? I'm really annoyed because my laptop is on my living room table, which is the boxes in there. And I'm like, I can't move it. Um, we can call it Crash Bandicoot if that's, I mean. No, you wouldn't say that. It's like the one with the girl and the rescuing and there's like the whole story. Is it Uncharted? It might be. I'm, I'm not sure, but we'll, 
we'll I keep will. it on the list. I feel bad because I feel like I failed and he's going to be so annoyed at me. For not <laughs> he's been going I'm, on about this video game for months. I'm like, it's all right. You know, I'm actually on this quest. Like nobody has, um, but like I asked these questions to myself and nobody has answered the game that I love so much, which is Fallout. <laughs> It's uh, oh, no. yeah, it's like a post-apocalyptic. Oh man, I love I love those games, but um, yeah, everybody's got their own little thing for the most the best video game ever made. <laughs> uh, what are some programming languages that people should be focusing on going into twenty twenty? So I think for me, as a like, I only really use Python, so I'm always okay. going to Python, and I've been talking like I've been thinking about um, a lot of the. Uh, the like out of the box tools that people like AWS and like Google are producing to help people with data science and they're always in Python and the libraries. So I'm like, if you want to get started and also if you're starting to build things, um, it, it makes sense to like learn that language because mm -hmm. these out of the box things and the like companies that are using machine learning and AI are doing it in those languages. Um, at least like, the core applications, the ones that are going to be most commonly found and easiest to get into. So mm -hmm. that would be why, why I would focus. Okay, great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And then the call to action that you have for folks, I have all your social links, but mm -hmm. what is kind of the main call to action here? So if you're interested in getting started with machine learning, um, I'm going to share a link uh, where you can kind of get some of my resources on boot camps. Um, and that cheat sheet that I was telling you guys about. But otherwise, I would say just like, let's hang out on Instagram. That's where I am the most. You won't find me anywhere else in socials really. Um, and just like message me and let's have a chat. I'm always happy to like chat to people. If something from this conversation has resonated with you, please reach out. I'd love to kind of like take it further on like a one-to-one -one basis. It'd be really interesting. So yeah, find me on Instagram, artificially intelligent Claire. Yes. My awesome. picture is like a little emoji at the moment, which I really <laughs> of, an Ein, of an Einstein, right? Yeah, it should. I realize I should have like a professional photo there, but like it's just funny. Yeah, you've got to you've got to have fun with it. Like it's your it's your brand, and actually, you have you actually you have like an what what is the phrase? Like you have like a nerd brand where you can buy like coffee mugs yeah. and yeah. So like when I was learning to code, I um. I started like drawing my own cartoons that I found funny based on the puns that I was making with the code and I put them on t-shirts. So I sell t-shirts as well and different things on the, on the blog. If people are interested in they're super nerdy, like, yeah, yeah <laughs> they, they'll, they'll find it. As, they'll see it as soon as they go to the blog. It'll be yeah. the, the nerd brand will be there. So, yes. well, Claire, thank you so much. Uh, this has been uh, really a lot of fun to kind of just open up these cans of worms and, talk about mm -hmm. things and I think you have a lot of value to add. So thank you so much for, thank you so much uh, for having me. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. All right. Well, did we, did we leave anything off the table or is, is this a good place to stop for now? I think this is a great place to stop. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, we covered a lot. So, all right, well, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you folks soon. All right then. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye.